Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's soon to be former D3 student athlete and co-host. Giant jam, two-hand monster flush off the inbound. Brian Gam Slam Jam. Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five. Plenty of topics to run through this week, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders serves its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders is a team of people who will be in close communication with you, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Ah, this is our 21st official podcast episode today. I had to crack a beer to celebrate. I'm loving the sun and warmer temps and the promise of a South Carolina vacay in less than two weeks, including some nice rounds of golf. A little more on that as a teaser later on and around the world. But I've got to admit, when we are away from college hoops and football, it gets a little tougher to prep for these things. Still, never fear, we have an endless list of nonsense uh, or uh, topics to cover. So with that, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. My topic for the week is, will Tom Ezzo ever embrace the transfer portal quite like Mel Tucker? Well, I I think I'm kind of... At a wit's end here with Izzo in the portal, he he's basically gone out on a limb many times and says that he despises the portal and that he wishes it wasn't a thing. There's an interview with him during the uh, MSU spring game on the radio a few weeks back, and he was talking about how he thinks it's going to kill basketball and how he doesn't like it and how he doesn't know what to do with it and all this stuff. And I get that, I and mean, he's an old school coach. He's not. He doesn't like transferring all that stuff, but. That's the world we live in right now in college athletics, especially football and basketball. I mean, people transfer. Uh, three guys have left Michigan State, one coming in, and there's two scholarship spots available. They're not going to be used, um, and they're just sitting there uh, with availability with some decent good bigs out there. So I don't know what he's doing. I don't. Obviously, he won't. I don't think he has much time left. Um, Mel Tucker's obviously a younger guy. I mean, he's gotten 15 guys in the portal since the end of last year. I mean, that's ridiculously awesome. I mean, he's just he's having fun with it, and he's getting guys that he thinks can help out and push uh, Michigan State to getting to a really good point right away instead of waiting a little bit and building it up on his own. He's trying to get right to the point, which could be really good or really bad. We'll see here in the future. But, yeah, I don't think Izzo's ever going to get to this point, especially with being in the tail end of his career um, and his – choice words per se um, about that yeah you know he's had a couple of a couple of good transfers we got one coming in right from northeastern who is one of the arguably one of the top five transfers i think there's two schools of thought there's the i'm a new coach i'm coming in i know guys are going to leave because of the free transfer mel tucker style where you gotta kind of build up and you can quickly get to success faster but, you know, for an Izzo or other coaches that have been around for a long time, Shashevsky, you name it, Calpari, even though Coach Cal got a transfer the other day from Iowa, <clears throat> I think what they need to do is just kind of fish it for to fill needs. Michigan State did that, get the, got the point guard that they needed. 
I agree with Ryan. <coughs> I think that there's a need for a big... Um, I mean, I think in the roster between Bingham and Sissoko and Marble, you know, I feel like you got it, but I don't know. If there's somebody out there, you may as well take a shot. I get it. At his age, you don't want to build your program around that. That's not, and I agree, it's going to ruin college basketball if they don't do more about it like we talked about last week. But I do think that he needs to embrace it a smidge more, even if he doesn't go the way of Mel Tucker. So for my take... This is a example of thinking about it all day and couldn't really think of anything great to do that we haven't already talked about. So I'm just going to say as a resident of Michigan, what in the hell is there to root for in sports right now? The Tigers are god-awful. They might compete with themselves. I think it was them that set the record for the worst or most losses. Early 2000, yeah. Uh, they're awful. I haven't watched baseball in a long time anyway because it's just not It's not been interesting since the Tigers were good, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Uh, the Red Wings, I don't think they made the playoffs. The Pistons aren't going to make the playoffs unless they're in this newfangled playing no, thing. No, the Pistons I really, are the worst team in the NBA. I don't follow Second much about worst. the NBA. It's just so, what do you got? Spring football's done. We can talk a little bit about, you know, grabbing people out of the transfer portal for football and basketball. Uh, you know, there's plenty of golf, which is great. Ryan and I will get a good round in here this Saturday. We were going to play last week. Didn't work out as he gets ready to finish up his college days. Uh, but we'll get a round in here this weekend. Weather's looking up. Um, and we'll play plenty of golf this summer and talk about golf here. But um, I'm just I'm, I'm at a loss because if you're a Days of Summer Tigers fan, I mean, do you really, really struggle and suffer to watch these games that are way too long to begin with. That's a whole other story. Um, you know, if you're a big Red Wings fan, which we've talked about, we know we love Red Wings playoff hockey. They haven't been good for a while now. Pistons have been not good for a while now. There seems like there's nothing to look for. Last week we had, you know, a couple weeks ago we had the draft. We got the NBA draft coming up. Um, so I'm going to throw that question out to you to answer on social media. As a resident of Michigan, unless you're one of those, you know, people who's a Cubbies fan or somebody outside of Michigan. What are you rooting for in sports right now? Because there ain't much. All right, moving on to our tee-up of the week. Ryan is going to tell you who or what, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah, for this week's tee-up segment, we're going to go to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, what do we call it? What do we call it? Uh, world of horse racing. Well, yeah, I guess the world of horse racing. Bob Baffert, you're up. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the news, it's been up this week. Uh, the horse that won the Derby, now the name is escaping me, of course, Medina. Medina Spirit. Medina Spirit. A great race that Ryan talked about last week here on the pod. Um, failed a drug test for some sort of a steroid. There's multiple ways, I guess, you could probably get this steroid. Of course, he's holding uh, that it's not a doping thing. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that it's not. You know, I'm not a huge horse fan. I don't really necessarily care about that kind of stuff, but it's it's just an interesting take. Um, but the reason we want to tee him up is because today I read that he's blaming what amounts to horse ass cream on the, on the flow of this <laughs> into the bloodstream. Some some ointment for a for a sore hind end is basically what I read that he's claiming put. I don't even know. It was a significantly high amount of this steroid that was in the system. I'm not really sure how you're absorbing that much through your back ass end, but 
Bob, just shut up. You're a wonderful trainer. You set the record at the Derby. But, um, you know, come on. Sports doesn't need guys like you. So it seems like maybe kind of a lighthearted tee it up. But it is. Don't blame me, ass cream, Bob. All right. That all out of the way. Let's go around the world. And let's talk in spot number one. And we'll start with you, Ryan. What are your five or who are your five most important MSU players this fall? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, love taking time to kind of think about this one. I think that there's there are a lot of guys that are going to be key moving forward, especially this year um, in year 1B of Mel Tucker. Um, first full season, hopefully, normal season. Um, but the guy I'm going to start with, obviously, is the guy that everyone looks at, and that's going to be the quarterback, and I believe that's going to be Peyton Thorne, and I truly believe he's probably going to be the most important player on this team. Um, I think the keys are going to be his. Um, and he has a chance to be really good moving forward. You know, I think that we saw what he could do late in the season against Penn State, a great game, uh, looked really good in the spring game, was the number one, um, said he has a lot better grasp of the offense, feels really comfortable in it. I mean, he showed he can move a little bit. He's got an arm, got a little zip on the ball. Um, no, he's got a great rapport with his receivers. Um, he kind of reminds me of Kirk Cousins a little bit with a little bit of, I don't even know what who's a good scrambling quarterback. Maybe Lewerke a little bit with his ability to scramble, but um, I think that he has a chance to be really good, and he's very key because if Michigan State is a good quarterback, they usually have a good team. So, um, you know, really looking forward to see what Peyton uh, can do this coming fall. Um, secondly, uh, stay on the offensive side. It's not a person, but just the offensive line in general. It's been a struggle point ever since Michigan State went to the playoff back in 2015. Um, you know, I think this this team really needs consistency at this spot in order to take the next step and become what we used to be. Um, you know, I think we winning in the trenches is where Big Ten football really is won, and football in general. Um, if you can't get, if you can't run the ball like Michigan State hasn't been able to for the past four or five seasons, you're not going to have much success. And uh, starting with a good offensive line, I think that just get, staying healthy and finding a good rotation of six or seven guys that can play those positions. Um, rotate in and out when guys need spells um, would be really good. And I think that the guys coming back, I think we got a lot of really, really promising players on the line. I mean, uh, Curry, uh, Duplain, Samick, Jarvis, and then Jarrett Horst trained from Arkansas State. Those are the five I believe will start at the moment going from left tackle to right tackle. And uh, those five could be really key in taking us over the top and maybe having some fun offense to watch for the first time in a long time. Um, third guy, Xavier Henderson, um, number three, if you don't know uh, names too well. Uh, safety from Michigan State. This will be his third year starting, played a lot as a freshman, uh, former four-star recruit, brings a lot of experience and knowledge. And, um, you know, the secondary is very young and very new. Um, you know, I think that we'll have uh, three new starters. We'll only have one scholarship guy returning in the secondary that's not uh, Xavier Henderson that played. Um, heavily, and that's uh, Cologne Gerben um, at corner, and then obviously uh, some other guys coming in, transfers and freshmen and whatnot. But um, you know, I think that Xavier has a chance to have a big, big year. I mean, he's a leader. He knows the defense well, um, and he's a thumper. He comes down and makes big hits and really good <clears throat> run support. I think he could be very key in helping this defense kind of keep growing and growing into the next few years. Nice young players coming up as well. Um, go back to the offensive side, a guy that I have really liked in his three seasons, been dinged up a little bit, but Jalen Naylor, 
Um, this kid could be very special. Um, you know, he's got to stay healthy as well. I mean, he's been dinged up last year. He played every game, which is good uh, to see that. Um, you know, he can. I think he can be one of the biggest deep threats in the Big Ten, if not the country. I mean, the dude it was a track champion um, in in Nevada in high school, and he could just be a return threat for us. I don't know if we necessarily need him in the return game, risking him to get hurt. But vertically, like I said, he could beat anybody in a foot race. I saw something earlier that said that he had like five receptions of 50-plus yards Sixth last year. Nation. Sixth in the nation, which is <laughs> awesome, um, especially for a team that has struggled throwing the ball downfield and breaking big plays. So hopefully we'll see a lot more of that coming this year. And then uh, my fifth spot kind of just went with the three – Veterans on the that played DN for Michigan State: Drew Beasley, uh, Jacob Ponishuk, and then uh, grad transfer Drew Jordan from Duke. Uh, I think these three will work really well as a trio together and form a really solid group of DNs. I think that you know Michigan State's pass rush needs to really improve from last year. I think in, t- in the interior they're all set. They got four or five really nice players. Uh, they're young and complement each other well. I think getting the edge set and getting to the quarterback and forcing them into that middle. Um, is really big, and uh, I think that these guys have great experience and can do that. I'm expecting big years out of all of them. Drew Beasley came back for his sixth year for this. Um, Jacob Ponishuk's put on weight after having COVID and before the season last year. He wasn't himself, and then Drew Jordan's started a lot of games in his college career. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing those guys wreak havoc in the fall. Cannot wait for this season. Yeah, we had some similarities, but some some differences, too. Um, I'm going to go from fifth most important to me to most important, and actually probably you could argue fifth most important is is more important here. But number five, I had any of the incoming corners. With one scholarship corner on the roster in the spring, um, Gervin, MSU is in dire need here. Now, of course, they've got um, a couple on the way from Chester Kimbrough, Chari Crump, Marky Lowry Jr., Charles Brantley, and Antoine Booth. Um, one of those guys is going to have to step in, or this just in, former Alabama cornerback Ronald Williams, who was highly rated. I believe he went to JUCO first. Maybe it was a grades thing. Um, I'm going to say, you know, if we had to boil it down to a player, let's go with Kimbrough coming in from Florida. Um, but remember, he lost playing time in the rotation at Florida. So I wonder, is he that good? Or, you know, maybe Williams is the guy given old St. Nick's ability to coach up NFL caliber DBs. Either way, um, Michigan State's going to have to do something there if they're not able to score again this year, which they haven't been for a while. Um, I'm hoping I would rather get into track meets where we win mm-hmm. 41 to 40 and let one of these guys kind of learn the ropes this year as opposed to scraping to score 13 and getting burned by these guys. It could be could be a long season if the offense isn't um, what we hope it will be with a defensive backfield that is a little bit in flux. Number four, a little bit of a surprise here, and you could go probably all special teams, but I'm narrowing in on the punter. Uh, Bryce Barringer ain't it. Or if he is, he needs to improve uh, like a lot. Ryan could use probably his extra year of college eligibility and walk on and be better. Um, You know, the Spartans have almost always had a good punter, and if you scoff at the notion that it's important, think about how Ohio State's punter, I can't remember his name, uh, buried, buried Michigan State so many times a few years ago. I mean, that's one of the best teams in college football over the last five to seven years, and they had one of the best punters. I mean, it's important. Michigan State hasn't had it in a while. 
Um, and they're going to have to scrape the barrel to find it because I think Behringer's the only guy they've got coming back that has any experience unless they've got a true freshman coming in. I want to jump in here. Compete. I think field position is something that's completely underrated, especially in Big yes. Ten football where every possession matters. Pinning people deep is very key, and Michigan State hasn't had a guy that can consistently do that. I mean, Hartberger <laughs> was decent, but um, he was banged up. And like you said, Behringer is not – he can – Yeah, really since Sadler – you know, RIP, Mike Sadler was phenomenal. Not a boomer, but he would just he could change position. He'd pin you inside the 20 time and time and time again. And it's critical. Um, you know, at least make your, your give your defense more room to bend, um, if not break, or before they break. So I'm going to go punter as a critical top five position or player for me. Number three, I'm going to go linebacker transfer, Quavarius Crouch. First of all, because he's got a sweet name, Quavarius. Uh, Crouch was sought after as a recruit as a running back, but made the switch to linebacker at Tennessee because he felt like he had a better chance for pro potential with his size and his skills. But he didn't get a whole lot of coaching. I think his coach there, I read, had been a tight ends coach. You know, so he kind of made that transition and just kind of went by the seat of his pants as an athlete. Um, we need big help at linebacker, so here's hoping our very experienced defensive staff can turn him into a def- uh, difference maker in a hurry. I think he's got the measurables. I think you know there's a couple of other guys coming in certainly around him. Um, you know, get the transfer from Minnesota as well, transfer from Michigan. Um, so he's not going to have to be the guy necessarily, but he stands out to me as having all the the measurables and the skill set to do that. So he's my number three. <clears throat> number two, Ryan went uh, wide receiver with Jalen Naylor. I'm going to go Jaden Reed. Um, yeah, I mean, we know what we have in him. He's quick. He's shifty. He's he's a great uh, with the jukes. There's a great video. I think it was in Colton Pouncey's article last week or a couple days ago on The Athletic with some of his moves in practice. Uh, he's a great route runner, but he's got to step it up to another level, I think. He needs to have consistent hands, make more game-changing plays. If he can do that, I believe he'll be among the best in the Big Ten, and he'll win the Spartans a game or two by himself. He's another one who could help potentially in the return game because that is the place that Michigan State has also sorely lacked for a long time. And again, just like punters change field positions, so do punt and kick returners. And I don't think that we've put enough effort into finding guys that can do that. Um, I almost wish they would just go find some stud athlete you know, that maybe can't quite crack the six deep and wide receiver and say, keys are yours. Go be a game changer for us. Score some touchdowns because uh, we need it. <laughs> Number one for me is Peyton Thorne. Why Thorne in particular? I'm, I'm, I'm with Ryan here. Uh, I think if Anthony Russo raises the floor, so to speak, for the group, Thorne then raises the ceiling because he's younger and he's got you know so much potential. I think Russo is um, you know far better than Lombardi was ever going to be. And Thorne is pushing hard to make him second string, so that's a good thing. That's what I mean by bigger, you know, higher floor, higher ceiling. Um, I think if that happens, it means that Michigan State is that much better at the most important position on the field. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be mad if Russo gets it because that, I knowing how hard Thorne pushes for it, that's only going to make us that much better. Uh, the competition there is something that was sorely lacking last year. I think they just didn't want to hand the keys to Thorne early because he was young, right? He was a, just a redshirt freshman. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens behind him if he gets the job. You know, most of the guys left because Theo Day entered the transfer portal are younger, so I, I don't think it's going to disrupt the apple cart too much, but it may impact recruiting a little bit. Who knows? Um, anyway, we'll get into more 
position group breakdowns, maybe specific player breakdowns again down the road. I'm sure many of you are wondering why I didn't include an O-lineman in the five like Ryan did, because I do think that's of critical importance. I think Michigan State's got tons of depth at running back and wide receiver. They've got a great quarterback situation. Tight ends may be a little dicey. If that O-line can just be slightly above average when they've just sucked ass the last couple of years, I mean, think about what they've got behind them. Guys with burst, you know, guys that can make plays. So we'll talk a little bit more about that down the road. Spot number two, staying in college football in particular, and I'll go first on this one. Um, Are college coaches fired too soon? And what is too soon? So I gotta say, first, let's differentiate between coaches with issues. And I'm gonna go back a little bit. Ryan probably doesn't even remember two or three of these guys, but Mike Price when he went from Washington State to Alabama, George O'Leary when he lied on his resume and went to Notre Dame. Not a great place to lie as a Catholic going to a Catholic school and lying about your resume. Or everybody's favorite moped riding coach, Bobby Petrino. You know, those guys all had fireable offenses that could damage the persona of their programs and schools. So I get I get getting rid of guys like that. I have no less miles, less miles at yeah, Kansas. Right. I, you know, I, I get that. Uh, I'm talking about guys who get the hook after three years, sometimes less because they're not winning. Um, I'm a firm believer that these schools like Tennessee, we're talking about you, um, who run through coaches like water, need to ground themselves in what they really are and stop living in the supposed glory days, which... Sorry, Tennessee, but I don't even know what your glory days were. Peyton Manning didn't win anything with it. T. Martin, I guess you won a natty there. But, um, you know, the transfer portal helps coaches build faster. Mel Tucker's a study in that right now at Michigan State, of course. But to truly build a program and leave a mark, it takes time. Firing coaches after no early success just dooms the next coach and the next one and so on. Not to mention costing the schools dearly in buyout and contract guarantees. I think inside of four, really probably five years is too soon to fire a guy. By year five, you know, if they can recruit, coach players up, have changed the culture. So I get it by year five, you know, kind of on that cusp four or five. John L. Smith was an example, made it four years, had his best success in his first year. You kind of knew what you were going to get. Okay, fine. You, you just kind of had to cut tail. So I get that. But even then, they gave him four years to try to get it turned around. And he saved his job for a week by having the largest NCAA comeback in Division One FBS history um, after being down, what, 38-3 to three to Notre, uh, Northwestern. Northwestern beat, yep. beat him 41-38 and then promptly went to Bloomington the next week and just got smacked and got fired, you know, at, towards the tail end of his fourth year. Um, I just, you know, if you want to fire guys earlier, don't guarantee as much money. I mean, these guys are making an ungodly amount of money. Why? The, what was the payout for... Um, Oh, uh, down in Auburn, what did Gus get? He got like nineteen million yeah, to go away. Million. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. It's just silly. It's stupid. And again, it, I get it. It's a big money business, and you want to win, and there's pressure and whatever. But come on, um, you know that's the guaranteed money is a big part of the problem. Pay guys after they've shown they can sustain success. Uh, kind of works in business that way, huh? Novel concept. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on this college football coaching nonsense? Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, I think, like we said, um, you know, in some situations, it's, I think it can't be too early to fire, obviously, like, fireable offenses, like cheating, um, you know, just scandals outside of football, stuff like that. I mean, the DJ Durkin thing's the first thing that comes to mind. That's... Right, that's another great example. 
terrible tragedy. Um, but you know, I, I agree with you. I, I, and on my sheet here, I had three th- after three seasons as a minimum for a coach that kind of gives them, you know, a few years to kind of get their system and get some guys they that they want, um, show that they can coach. And if they can't, then kind of might be time to move on. Maybe have one more gap year there to be like, okay, if you don't get to this benchmark, you're gone. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about college basketball as well. I mean, like a lot of times coaches are fired um, because they're not cultural fits. Um, ones that come to mind, I think Archie Miller is one of those guys for Indiana. But um, even he had four years, right? Right, yeah, I think he did. And then Rich Rod at Michigan. Um, you know, I think that well, some, too. Right. <laughs> some, some situations aren't great for coaches. Um, and then you think of coach or teams like Tennessee, Nebraska, Florida State, Miami, Florida, Texas, USC. I mean, the list goes on and on where guys are fired when they don't win 10 games. I mean, Bo Pelini was fired from Nebraska with, he was like 75 and 30. As Frank Solich before him. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he led them to the national title game in 2001, even though they probably shouldn't have gone that year after getting smacked by Colorado. Great article on and that today in The Athletic. But, I mean, that's that, again, that's that you had a run and you have this on i mean it's just this expectation that's really unfounded i'll give a school that i'll give credit to because you mentioned them it's actually usc they've stayed with clay helton through they were every year is like we're gonna fire him we're gonna fire him we're gonna fire him and he finally kind of broke through last year i don't remember what year it was maybe year four or year five um i that i just think you got to ride it out especially if you're trying to change things Nebraska is still paying dearly for that. If you know they'd never fired Frank Solich, who knows? I mean, but they ten wins out of eleven games wasn't enough for them. Um, I I just think it's unrealistic, and it's that's the it's the fans, you know, the tail wagging the dog, the fans making the decision happen in Tennessee when they didn't want um, Chiano. Yeah, who's looking turning Rutgers around again? It's just like you get what you get. Tennessee yeah, I mean, who's on what their nineteenth coach in the last I mean, yeah, twenty Jeremy years is ridiculous. Pro, I mean, didn't they? They I think they had a coaching change. Did they not? They did. I mean, they had the supposed cheating thing. It never got you know too blown up. But it's the SEC. Come on, let's let's not pull punches. They cheat all the time. Oh, absolutely. So. You know, it's just it's just crazy. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, sometimes um, coaches outstay their welcome, um, but also it can be too close. Now look at Josh Heupel, their coach now. Um, from UCF, but um, yeah, I think that just it's not like the NBA and NFL where uh, where it absolutely can be way too early. I mean, guys go have a horrible record and they get fired after one year. I mean, Freddie Kitchens from the Browns comes to mind. Guys, I don't even know who else in the NBA, but uh, guys fired after a year. Um, NFL guys as well. It's just it's crazy how quickly people turn on you after being so into it. I mean, a guy. I thought that out said his welcome was Matt Patricia. He should have been fired after right. year two. And I don't care in that pros if they get rid of guys in a year because that's a business, right? right I that's mean, true. College football and college basketball are a business, so let's not let's not lie about that. But not in the same way that the NFL or the NBA is. Um, so you know, if a guy goes in a year, that's fine. But I'll go to another point of yours, Ryan. Cultural fit. Like, are you kidding? If you can't get the right cultural fit when you make a hire, you should be fired. Yeah, that's, that's just that's, that's on stupid. The hiring that, that's on the hiring committee that you're paying, you know, six seven figures to. That's on the AD. That's on the president. That's why I loved it when Michigan State went out 
and got the right hire in Mark D'Antonio, they had guys that they wanted to get opinions from, like Izzo. The Lions did that. They got guys like Mark Hollis, who was really good at it from Michigan State. And Spielman, guys. Spielman, that guys that know. I mean, so if you ever have to fire somebody because you say they're not a cultural fit, that's, uh, you know, you point a finger and you got three pointing back at you, shame on you for that. I mean, yeah, like you said, you immediately think of the John L. Smiths of the world that just mm. not a great example. John Lansing Smith, not a cultural not, fit at all. Just not what you want and what you need, especially. I mean, a lot of times, obviously, coaches are fired um, because of poor records. Um, and with Michigan State back then, they were coming off some pretty bad seasons. They brought in a guy that was average at best at Louisville. Um, yeah. And then it took a long time to build that back up. But that's what happens when you have a. R.I.P. Great hockey coach, but that's when you have a hockey coach as your athletic director making decisions, right? Then look in the mirror, say, I'm not equipped to make this decision and find somebody to make the right decision. Because that, after all the debacle of Bobby Williams, like by all accounts, great guy, probably an okay coach. He's hung around Saban for a long time yet, just not fit to be the head coach. The president made that decision because he let the players you know, dictate Ooh, that. And, and that's what happened. And then they went out and they compounded that by making a, a poor hire on top of that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I mean, a lot of it has to do with that. There's just so much damn money that's, that's in the game right now. Um, but I would like to see it kind of like the transfer portal thing. They've got to, they got to draw the line somewhere. Um, or the numbers are just going to keep going up and up and up. All right. Changing gears a little bit, a uh, little, Spot number three, Little Mount Rushmore again this week. We're going to talk top four par threes in golf. And we could, we may have some of the same, and that's totally fine. We'll go back and forth on this because that's kind of worked in the past. Um, Ryan, I'll let you start. What's your what's your first? I'm trying to think left to right on Mount Rushmore. Who's first? Is it Teddy Roosevelt or is it George Washington? Yeah, whoever whoever it is on the left. Who's yeah, your we'll, first we'll one on the left? We're going to go with the obvious pick. Um, I'm sure it's on your list. It's on everyone's list. There's so many replicas of it. Number 17 at TPC Sawgrass, probably the most famous par three in the world. Um, the Island Green um, with the stands all the way around. I mean, the lake surrounding it, just a beautiful golf hole. Um, you know, so many great moments there. Tiger making a bomb, um, you know, aces during the players. I mean, the hole's beautiful. Um, hopefully one day we'll get a chance to play that and put put a couple in the water there. But yeah, that's my. That was my number one. Yeah, I, I um, had that on my list. Not necessarily. I didn't have them in any particular order. 133 yards. That's the theme for me. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw out the yardage. Island green, small pot bunker in there. Huge ridge in the green. Small but mighty. Can derail a final sprint to the finish on any day in the players. That's an awesome course, and it's right up there. And the nice thing is, it is playable. Although um, we'll get into this in a little bit, but holy hell, is it expensive. It's expensive to play there. All right, so I'll go um, first on my second pick then. Um, my uh, number two, and again, not necessarily in an order, uh, Augusta number 12, pivotal hole, 155 yards, actually the longest of my four that I picked, uh, over Ray's Creek. The winds swirl. You see guys kind of step up, step back, step up, look in the sky, look at the trees, look at the leaves. Uh, the wind, you know, the winds are just swirling up there. So many masters have turned here on Sunday. Uh, Spieth put one in the drink a few years ago, and what would have been, I think, back to back, right? That year he was going for yeah. his back to back titles there that derailed him. 
I also famously remember Freddie Couples having one hang up on the bank, saved his butt. He, he ended up winning. I think that was in 1992. So uh, it happens a lot where guys just, they just tank it on that hole, um, which just goes to show you, you don't need some long, crazy hole. So that's that's uh, number two for me on my list. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, stick with the TPC here. Uh, TPC Scottsdale, number 16. Um, the hole at the waste management where just everyone lines up and goes crazy every shot. Uh, just the hole is booze. Just, it's like a being at a hockey yeah, game. Yeah, it's almost. insane. It's awesome. I mean, I, I to play it even normally, it looks it's beautiful with the mountains in the background, desert setting, um, lots of bunkers around the green, uh, very sloped green as well. So that that's up there for me. That looks that looks like a lot of fun. All right, what's your third pick? Yeah, I'm going to go with Augusta number 16 here, Red Bug. Um, you know, I think 12 obviously is very pivotal, but I've I've seen so many. I mean, was that the, the hole that Shoffley did bad on this year? I think it was. Yeah, it? yeah when he 16, hit the, I mean, he went to 8-iron and, and he kind of smothered it into the water a little bit and destroyed his yeah, great when comeback. Yeah, I mean, when it's close, they can, one bad <laughs> shot here can kill you. I mean... You've, you've seen great shots here. I mean, Tiger in 2019 put it to a, a foot um, in his first win in a long time. Obviously, um, the chip-in where it hung on the lip there for a minute by Tiger back, I think it was 05 now. Wow, it's a long time ago. Um, but just so many great moments there. Um, just so sloped. I mean, you put the pin in a lot of different positions there. It's tough. Uh, love watching that hole every time. Yeah, um, that is, that is another really good one at Augusta. Uh, for my third one, I'm going to go Pebble Beach, number seven, 190, 109 yards. Small but mighty as well. I've, actually, it's the shortest hole in championship golf. Maybe the most beautiful hole in golf as well. Um, lots of things come into play on that. You know, you got some you got some bunkers. It's kind of a crazy, you know, 109 yards for those guys. It's like a, you know, a quarter wedge. Um, you know, you got the ocean banging there in the background. You know, that hole, though, is so good. Jim Nance has a scaled replica of it in his backyard. So just not so much because it's the the most difficult, but it's probably one of the most beautiful holes in golf, I would say. And then for my fourth one, I'm going to take it over seas, over to um, the uh, Great Britain. And I'm going to go with Royal Troon, number eight. Actually, that's in Ireland, not in England, but uh, on the aisle there. 123 yards, yards. So you see, again, I had 155, 133, 109, 123, all shorties. The postage stamp. That one is insanely well guarded by bunkers, and we know the bunkers over there at the British are crazy. The wind that can blow hard from all different directions at once, it's daunting. It got its name because from up high where you tee off, it looks like you're hitting to a postage stamp. So um it's early in a round on a number eight you know number eight but things can change in a hurry there uh that would round out my top four ryan how about you what's your fourth yeah i I had the same one as you uh the seventh at pebble i mean the shorty towards the ocean might be one of the more deceiving holes looks like i mean from up there looks like it'd be long i mean you'll know hard to hit it um with the wind and just the, the ocean in the background waves crashing um yeah, just beautiful. And my my um, honorable mention was a, is a hole that's not on the PGA Tour, but I I've seen pictures of it many times. Number fourteen at Coral Deline in Idaho. It's a oh yeah, the movable. Three. It's a movable, movable green. green. You that's have to sweet. take a boat out to the to the green. Um, I 
you would definitely want to play that one. It looks awesome. Yeah, that does. The hole can go from like 130 yards to like 210 on any given day. So yeah, it's, it's like on a chain pull. It's it's great. It's phenomenal because they can literally change the look of the. You could go play there four times and have it be four different holes. Uh, great, great call on that one. Um, <clears throat> my runner-up is number 13 at the Falls of Barber Creek. Uh-huh. Ryan knows why. Site of my only career hole-in-one. Coincidentally, my theme was short par threes. Uh, it, that was a 202-yarder um, that was gotten with a three hybrid, so not a short iron into one of these shorter holes. Um, but still, give me the fun of a short but daunting par three any day. You know, Too often, I think we see these behemoths, especially in the U.S. Open, that are like 250-plus. Oh, we get it. These guys can hit it a long ways, but come on. That's not legit. Give us something that an amateur can aspire to. Um, you know, give me a hole where conditions and pressure and history matter over making someone prove that they can make a three with a three iron off the tee. Um, unless you're Bryson and he's hitting an eight iron on a 250-yard par three. All right, spot number four. We're going to change it up again topic-wise. That's the beauty of not having uh, anything in Michigan worth a you-know-what to talk about. So we're going to talk all-time NBA starting lineup. And I'll, I think we'll go back and forth here too, position by position. Um, I'm going to guess my guys are all older than Ryan's guys, but that makes sense because I'm now 48 and he's not quite 22. Um, these are the guys more that I grew up with, but um, it'll be interesting to kind of see what you've got com- in comparison. So, Ryan, I'll go first. Let's go point guard first. I got to go Magic Johnson. There's a lot of great point guards, uh, you know, up until uh, Russell. Westbrook now is, I think, the all-time triple-double triple double, yep. Magic was the was the king of the triple-double back in the day. You know, scoring-wise, not as great in history, but ranked number 82 in the NBA in scoring, ranked number six all-time in assists. Um, you know, rebounds, he was number 142, so he was in the top 150 there. You know, um, just and five titles, by the way. So at point guard, I got Magic. How about you, Ryan? Uh, for every other reason that you just said, Magic Johnson. And he's got the best smile out of any basketball player. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, I'll let you go first then on your shooting guard. Yeah, shooting guard. I, I have the uh, his Aaroness, Michael Jordan, um, in my opinion. I know a lot of people don't agree with it, but I think he's the greatest player of all time. Um, six rings, um, you know, just unbelievable. Um basketball player. Such a competitor. Yeah. The fiercest competitor I've, I think I've ever uh, seen. I mean, I didn't watch him, but watching the, the last dance and just reading stuff about him, I haven't seen anything quite like him. So Yeah, I also had MJ, and I gotta say, for all you who think LeBron is better, uh, I'm sorry, but he's not. He just isn't. I mean, Basketball is different now, and you know, since LeBron's been playing, than it was in the in the eighties and nineties when MJ played. It was a lot more physical. It was a lot tougher game. You didn't get bailed out by whistles. People played defense. People forget he was like an all time, you know, all defensive team and the defensive player of the year a few times too. So he wasn't just about leading the NBA in scoring, but scoring wise, I mean, he all time number five. You know, even assists. He's in the top 50, number 47, so you can't say he was a ball hog. Um, you know, rebounds, he was 131, so he even had more boards than the Magic. Um, title six, I mean, I'm sorry, you, you can take LeBron all you want. If I'm picking sides, LeBron ain't on my team. 
And that's for reasons outside of basketball, too, that we talked about a few weeks ago. All right, I'm going to go um, next with my small forward, or as you want to call it today, wing, or kind of positionless basketball, the three. Um, I got to go with Larry Legend, Larry Bird. Um, you know, I grew up watching he and Magic starting back in the Michigan State, Indiana State NCAA final in 1979. You know, Bird, number 35 all time in scoring, number 44 all time in assists. Um, not up there in rebounds, or at least I might have missed him in the top 150. But, you know, at 6'9, great player, played on some great teams, albeit I hated the Celtics. Um, three titles himself as well. Just a dude that, you know, I mean, if you go old school, you can look, it up, look him up. The originals in the McDonald's commercials, Magic versus uh, Bird playing um, playing a little bit of horse for, for a Big Mac. Just just a stud. One of the best players of all time. Brian, how about you for your small forward? Yeah, I, I also have Larry Legend. Um, you know, obviously not my era, but um, from the videos I've seen of him, unbelievable. Could score from anywhere. Dirt stash. Also just a... Fierce competitor, Shorty do anything to win. Um, I believe his was his career cut short by bad knees. I think. Yeah, and I think so. It was a little so bit could shorter. Could have been career. even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go Larry. All right, who's your power forward? Yeah, I, I I hate to say it, but I'd go small here and go LeBron. I I do think LeBron Ooh. is great. Yeah, I mean I think that. I mean, he's one of the best athletes of all time. I mean, six nine so can is. just absolutely jump out of the gym. Could play tight end or receiver in the NFL easily. Um, strong as a bull, um, fast. Um, plays when he was younger. Played really good defense. I mean, I I, I used to like young LeBron, um, like Cavaliers LeBron um, and Miami LeBron, but not so much LA LeBron. Uh, the West has turned him bad, I guess. But um, you know, if if we took that LeBron, um, Cleveland when he won it all um, for the first time for them, 2016. I mean, that's. That's LeBron I would take right there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, look, statistically, it's really hard to argue. He's he's in the top 5'10 in a lot of these categories, and he's he's otherworldly. I, I do still think MJ, um, era-wise, I just don't know that LeBron, maybe he could have taken the physical beating that, that MJ did back in the days from Bill Lane Beer and, you know, the the bad boys, the Motor City bad boys. But for me, I got the round mound of rebound. Chuck. Chuck. Um, you know, nothing super stands out. Unfortunately, he came close, but never won a, a title. But, you know, I mean, he's 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 just out there, right? Like 27th all-time in scoring, 103rd in assists. So even for somebody at power forward, you know, a pretty good assist guy. 19th all-time in, in rebounding for an undersized power forward. Um, just phenomenal rebounder. That's why they call him the round mound rebound. Um you know, and then just his personality. Like I would take his personality a million times to one over LeBron. So I got to have somebody I can tolerate on my bench that I'm rolling the ball out for. So I'm I'm going with Chuck. And for my center, man, there are there are actually a lot of good choices. And one of my favorite all time players, really. And I read a great article on it today on the recruiting of him back in the day is Shaquille. But he's not who I picked. I went with Hakeem the Dream. Um, again, another guy I remember watching early when he played for Five Slam Ajama. Um, you know, he's 12th all time in scoring for a center. Of course, Kareem, I think, is maybe still up there towards the top, if not at the top. Um, you know, assist wise, obviously, he didn't factor in there. Rebounds 14th, blocks first all time. 
um, just could change games at, you know, you could read them anywhere between 7-2 and 7-4. Had that, you know, Hakeem shake, had just a great fadeaway, um, you know, led Houston to back-to-back titles in the mid-90s, kind of in between Jordan's runs. Um, you know, for me, if I'm going to build a team around a big guy, and you know, I like my big guys, I'm going with Hakeem Olajuwon. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the guy you said first, uh, the Diesel Shack. Shack, um, you know, just dominant. We went from skinny, athletic Shack with the with the magic, um, young Shack to bigger Shack with LA. Won a few titles, um, then bounced around. I mean, Miami played for the Celtics for a little bit. Played for the Cavs. Played for the Suns. I mean, all over the place, but. I, he's one of the greatest of all time, um, I believe, and definitely one of the best centers. I mean, just a great rebounder, score, shot blocker. I mean, the dude's ginormous. Um, great personality, yeah, too. I mean, like, re, if you have a subscription to The Athletic or if you can get a freebie, you read. Read the article. I can't remember who wrote it, but it, oh, it was Brendan Quinn, actually, I think, um, who's one of the BQs, one of the better writers for the Big Ten and golf. But he wrote a great story about kind of the history of Shaq and how he got recruited. And you think back to when that was in the 80s. They didn't have AAU like they did today. And he was first discovered when he was 13 in Germany. Um, and it's just kind of a crazy story about how he burst on the scene and kept growing and growing and growing and and kind of his legend. But uh, that was a great read. And real quick, I'll say my, my bench guys. I had Kobe, um, Hakeem the Dream, um, Wilt the Stilt, um, Bill Russell, and Steph Curry um, playing point guard. That's good. I didn't look at another five, but one guy I would have on my bench is pre-weirdo Dennis Rodman. Just because you need a guy that can do the dirty work. Rodman for the Pistons. That could get 28 rebounds and have no points. Um, Guys like that. Draymond Green is not one of the all-time greats, but guys like that, right? That are glue guys that do all the little dirty work. Kobe, obviously a great one. Uh, a champion, a winner. Um, so many great players that the NBA has been blessed with. I'm not necessarily, again, a huge fan these days. It was back in the 80s and 90s when basketball is a little bit different than it is now. But um, that was kind of a fun list to take a, go back in the Wayback Machine and look at. All right, spot number five. We're going to go back to golf. Golf Magazine, or golf.com, just released its annual Top 100 Public Courses in North America. It's always fun to look at those and see what you've played and what you can play and do you agree and what would you play and gasp over the price of some of these things that are quote public um we're going to break it down over the next few podcasts we're not going to look at the whole 100 today so we'll look at 25 at a time today we'll look at the first 25 kind of maybe peek through what maybe we've played or what we've got on the docket to play because there's one on there that we're going to play here soon um and then i want to know ryan what Five would you play if you could only pick five of the top 25? Yeah, yeah. So um, looking through this list, uh, I have not played any of the top 25 on here. Um, obviously, just unbelievable courses. This is just in North America alone. Um, you know, and like you said, um, we will actually be playing the uh, the number 16 course, uh, public course in North America up here, I think, two weeks from tomorrow. Um down in Hilton Head, South Carolina, uh, Harbortown, Pete Dye, Jack Nicholas Design, um, home of the RBC Heritage uh, Open down there. I mean, just beautiful right there on the ocean for some of it through the through the marshes down there. I mean, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. Um, 
but otherwise I've not played any of these other courses. I mean, so beautiful, so many good ones. Hard to pick five of the 25, but um, I'm the first one that I'd want to play is uh, Pebble Beach, the number one course um, on this list. Uh, just absolutely breathtaking. I know a decent amount of people have played it and said that it's unbelievable. Everything um, that they it's cracked up to be, just, even at five seventy five, and that's without a caddy. <laughs> that's, yeah, and that's, that's yeah, it's that's insane. And it's well, six twenty for non resort guests, so I guess you got to stay there to save about what forty five bucks. Um, but I mean, just amazing stretches of golf holes, um, great views. Um, just the history behind it. I mean, Tiger winning there in 99, um, you know, just Gary Woodland winning there a few years ago, Graham McDowell, um, Tom Watson back in the 80s with his chip in on 17. I mean, the just list goes Phil's on. won a ton of the AT&Ts. I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's on and on. I mean, great. awesome. Um, definitely want to play there. Number two on the list that I want to play is also number two on the uh, golf.com top 100 here. Uh, Pinehurst number two, down the Ross design. Um, the home of American golf is what they like to call it. Um, U.S. Open was last there in 2014, I believe. Um, you know, they redid it fairly recently for that U.S. Open. I know that coming up here pretty soon, they're going to be doing it. I mean, just beautiful through the, the sand hills of North Carolina. Um, just very natural. Uh, classic Donald Ross bunkers everywhere. Greens that are hard as you know what. Um just beautiful. I mean, obviously, big moments there. Payne Stewart beating Phil back in 99. That was 99. Tigers 2000. I'm, I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. Because um, that was two days before I was born. Um, but, yeah, just unbelievable. 495 is the max fee. I mean, there's Pinehurst has un, unbelievable amounts of golf. There's beautiful Don Ross designs and other great ones. Um, par 3 course. That's definitely a place I would love to go. Uh, number 3 on my list. Uh, Beth Page Black, actually, um, I don't remember what number that was. Number five, um, you know, hosted U.S. Opens, PGA Championships. Um, Brooks won there a few years ago. I think that was 2019 now. So, yeah, a few years ago, beautiful course, hard as I'll get up um, from what I've heard. Um, just beautiful through the, through the woods of New York. Um, it's a state park, actually, so that's kind of cool. Uh, municipal course, I think you have to, like, stay there overnight, but for a non-resident of New York, it's only $150, but almost impossible to get a tee time. Um, definitely want to play there in the future. Um, moving one down the list, uh, number six on golf.com's list, Kiowa Island, um, hosting the PGA next week um, down in South Carolina, just to the southwest of Charleston. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous golf course right there in the ocean. Uh, windy all the time. Uh, beautiful holes. Um $463 a play, so not cheap by any means. Um, you know, Ryder Cupsman played there, PGA this year, like I said. Rory won there back in 2012, I believe. Um, you know, this definitely want to play that one just because of the, the view itself. I mean, obviously so many other ones I could play. I could go with Band, the different Van and Dunes courses. They're all over this TBC Sawgrass, Whistling Straits. But I'm going to go with one that um, I've played on video games before and... It's just beautiful. I've heard, I know someone that's played it, said it was absolutely breathtaking. Alistair McKenzie's Pasa Tiempo um, in California. Um, just beautiful. Not like an overly long course by any stretch of the imagination. That's number 13 on the list. Um, there's a reason why Alistair McKenzie calls it the finest course he ever built. I mean, it's through the mountains a little bit. Just 
beautiful lush green. Um, this is where he set up his 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 headquarters, his home. I think on the 18th fairway there. Uh, beautiful. It's 325 to play, so not cheap at all, also as well. But um, yeah, just those are my five. I mean, obviously could pick any of these ones. I wouldn't be mad uh, playing any of them. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a few Canadian courses eh, in this list too. But I mean, I agree. If I could, I'd play them all. Um, just phenomenal courses. I I think the thing that was most striking to me when I first looked at this is that I'm looking at the rankings now. Number eight is Bandon Trails. Number nine is Bandon Dunes. Number 15 is Old MacDonald. Number 20 is Sheep, 20 Ranch, is Sheep Ranch. Ranch. Well. Those are all Bandon courses. Um, so I'm going to pick that as one of my five because I could play four for four for <laughs> four for one, I guess, if you will. I mean, talk about unbelievable in that stretch of property. It's virtually impossible to get to. Um, but that is a definitely a golf trip that is on the bucket list. I'm um, gonna have to be having Ryan make some bank before we go on that, so I don't have to foot the bill for two because it's not gonna be cheap. But um, would love to get up there. I, I gotta go Pebble Beach too. I mean, just to play it once. Everybody, not one person I've talked to has been disappointed that has played there. Um, and at this point, like you know, mom slash my wife says it's about the experience, which is why we're playing Harbor Town. In a couple weeks, it's not cheap either, but um, you don't only get so many chances to play courses like that. But I'm gonna say so. First for me, probably Pebble Beach. Second would be the Bandon courses. You know, I'm gonna take it over to Wisconsin, um, which seems easy, but I want to make a little trip out of Whistling Straits and um, oh shoot, it was a number 25 Sand Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, some of those courses, Sand Valley especially, just looks. Like you're on the moon, not in the middle of Wisconsin, but um, you know Wisconsin, I would say rivals Michigan for probably some of the top top end golf courses. Obviously, two here in the top 25. Um, those would be right on the list. Obviously, we're already playing Harbor Town. Uh, you know, for me, um, I would say if I go to my next one, would probably be TPC Sawgrass, just because I want to play that Island Green. I mean, it's I just looked again; it's seven hundred twenty dollars. It, so it's not cheap. Um, but that just, you know, so many historic rounds of golf that have been played there too. And the unofficial fifth major, uh, I would definitely put that up there for me. And I think my last choice, and I've really obviously burned through probably more like 10 on this list because I picked all the bandons as one and the two Wisconsin courses, but the last one maybe a little surprising. I'm going to go with number 21 shadow Creek. I mean, something like 25,000 trees were moved in there to make that course, um, you know, Ryan and my uncle that we play in a golf trip every year with plays play there a few times with buddies. It's in the $600 range. I mean, they'll go days because it's so exclusive. They'll have like five tee times. I mean, so it's in pristine condition. I think they actually played a tournament like there yeah, last Tiger year. Played Phil there. Oh, and then they played a PGA thing there yes. last year. So, um, I would say shadow Creek just because, um, you know, to have something like that in the middle of the desert in Las Vegas is pretty spectacular. Um, so we'll get to the, you know, numbers 26 through 100, maybe not in sequential order over the next few weeks. We'll probably take our vacation week off anyway, but we'll get to those eventually as well. Um, we'll start hitting some Michigan courses on there too, some of which we've played and we can talk a little bit more about. So, all right, well, that's it for Around the World. Let's end, as we always do, with a sprint. 
Ryan, in honor of a recently released top 10 college football plays of the last decade, we'll boil it down to two. Which one was better? Number one rated kick six or number two rated trouble with the snap? Well, I'm obviously biased, but uh, trouble with the snap, I mean, you couldn't recreate that ever. I think with kick six, that could, I mean, that could happen. You've seen that happen, right? That's what I would say, too. I get it. That game, rivalry game, too, obviously. Auburn, Alabama, I want to say it it had implications on the national championship. Yeah, it did, yeah. Um, so that's probably why it gets number one. But it's like it's like the band play Cal Stanford. There's no way you could replicate that again with a band coming on the field and spiking the ball in the Susan phone player. You, there's no you could try it a million times and he would not have the same problem with the snap. He'd fall on it, he'd push it out of bounds, something would happen. That was a perfect storm. Still gives me chills to hear about it. Absolutely, 100% agree. That's more of a marathon than a sprint, but trouble with the snap. All right, Ryan, would you rather shoot par for 18 one time in your life, par 72, not like an executive course or something, or have a, or in my case, another hole-in-one? Yeah, I, I got to go with the hole-in-one. Yeah, I agree with that. Hole-in-one, such a thrill, even though I didn't even know it until we really kind of drove up to the hole all right, uh, number three, will Tiger ever win another major? If you would have asked me this in January before his car accident, I would have said yes, but with that and just the recovery and him getting older, I'm going to say no as no, but that could be subject to change. We'll see what his health is. Uh, I mean, I like. even wonder where I ever play again. I, I'm going to say no also after the accident. I mean, his legs drove so much power, especially with that bad back. I just, I don't know. That's a lot with the way his right leg was destroyed. And last but not least... Best baseball movie character. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Ham from Sandlot. He's he's the best. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say that, so I had to go to a backup just so we didn't have the same one. Although I do say Hamilton, Ham Porter, aka the Great Hambino. Uh, my runner-up, so the one I'll throw out there is Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn from Major League. All right, Ryan, throw some final social media reminders. Yep, just a reminder: follow us on Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five. Um, we're trying to get more content out there. Um, if we get more followers, we don't have too many right now, but if we start getting more, we might start posting uh, golf course review videos, um, especially from one Harbor town here in a few weeks in uh, Robert Trent Jones and Arthur Hills down in South Carolina. So I'll um, show you a little bit of that. Uh, but thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Appreciate our sponsor, Andrews Realty. Uh, keep listening. Tell your friends. Give us what you want to hear. Um, yeah, we appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. And that's it for this week. Uh, we're back, as you can see. Again, we've covered a whole gamut of stuff. we got the full smorgasbord of sports. Um, that'll still be the case going forward. We may have to scratch and claw a little bit for topics, so help us out if you got any. Share your ideas, your likes, your dislikes, uh, content ideas, topic ideas via our Twitter. Um, and again, if you have a hot topic for us to debate, like transfers or something like that, let us know. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, we'll keep it simple. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls.